While you're here, please take a moment to subscribe and rate our show. It takes just a minute, but really helps to support us. And if you'd like to join us in the work we are doing, you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month and help to carry the financial burden of honoring these stories on this platform. Thank you for daring to listen to these incredible voices. Today, we are honored to bring you Lindsay's story. Lindsay experienced church trauma early in her life. However, despite her past hurt, Lindsay persevered and desired to grow with and belong to a church family. While her story is alarming, her jubilant and bold spirit is an encouragement for all of us. I'm Jay Coyle, and this is the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Marsville bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. We are so honored to have you. And we wanted to start a little bit talking about your history with the church, because you definitely have a unique family history, and we'd love for you to expand on that. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on as well. I grew up in the Midwest and in a family that highly valued church. I would probably say that was church involvement was the most paramount value of our family. And when I was about six years old, uh, we were going to a non-denominational Bible church uh, for the vast majority of my childhood. We attended evangelical non-denom churches. And at this church uh, where I had been born and raised up into, where all of my friends were, uh, my parents and our entire family was excommunicated from the church. And uh, I very distinctly remember my parents uh, sitting both my sister and I down and telling us that we would no longer be going back to that church, that we'd been asked to leave. And of course, as a kid, that was something that I couldn't fully grasp why. I know they told us. And later on, as a kid, I found the letter from the church like, in the family file cabinet. And that was something that I read and that strongly impacted how I experienced church because I, from very early on, had experienced the feeling of being kicked out, the feeling of no longer being wanted. So I lost a lot of my friends. I watched my parents lose a lot of their friends we visited several other churches in our city trying to find a new church home. We eventually settled into one where I spent the bulk of my childhood, but that was that cast a pall. And the interesting thing that we kind of grappled with was the fact that we had been asked to leave a church community. And then my parents, like they dove back in And because, again, church was very strong value within our family. And when I was 16 years old, the first Bible church, they came back and they were like, hey, we screwed up. We actually handled that really poorly. We never should have told you guys to leave. 
and they wanted to have a reconciliation. I think that was welcome news to my parents. That was not welcome news to me (laughs) because I had felt the effects reverberating throughout my childhood of that rejection and how people perceived us. Well into young adulthood, I would go out to dinner with my parents and we would run into people from that very first Bible church who would still hold to that level of shunning that they had been instructed to do. They would see us, turn, walk the other way without saying a word. And so even after the church said, we would like to reconcile, we would like to apologize, I was not interested in that. And I didn't feel like they owed me anything, that I owed them anything. But nevertheless, uh, I found myself sitting in our living room with my parents. We were all lined up in our little dining room chairs in the living room. And a group of pastors from this church came in. And again, I knew none of these people. There was all new leadership at this church. And I understand that they were trying to make things right. But it also felt like they were trying to make things right to clear their own conscience. These people were not a part of my life. And yet I was being told that it was important to repair something. And we didn't even go there. We we never did go back there. And I had to give all of these men a hug and tell them, I forgive you. But I remember thinking at the time, I don't actually forgive you. Because one, the people who I was being told to accept forgiveness from had not done wrong. Uh, The original pastor had already left staff. So I felt that this was a forced kind of puppeteering experiment. And it was not something that that held meaning for me. I think it definitely did for my parents. But for me, it just felt like they were doing this to absolve their own conscience. And uh, my parents also had a lot of difficulty at the church that I mostly grew up at. And they ended up effectively more or less being told to leave that one as well. And they hold a lot of trauma. Uh, I don't know to what degree they have grappled with it uh, because as I've seen how this has affected my family, often what I tell people is I never had the opportunity to form a church home because that sense of belonging, that sense of trust, when and if it was established, was always ripped away. And that was always taken away. And so I never had the experience of growing up in a consistent church environment like we were always leaving because something happened. And it's been interesting to see how everyone in my family has handled this over the years and how we have responded to it. And I think uh, in regards to my parents in particular, they have doubled down (laughs) on uh, their desire to commit to church even more and find a place that has a lot of rules so they know exactly what to follow. And uh, for me, that strongly impacted uh, how I approached church as a young adult. So, uh, which led me to when I moved to Kansas City after university. And for those that don't know what excommunication is, essentially it is, uh, you use the word shunning, but excluding someone from you know, participation in church or in a more orthodox church, like participation in the sacraments or taking the sacraments. So it's a pretty big deal. And I know a lot of Christians go to like Matthew 18, where 
you know, where you have a <laughs> which has been misused so many times. But when you have something against a brother uh, or sister, uh, you know, you get one, go to them, and then you take two or three. And if they still refuse to repent, you treat them as an unbeliever. From your story, what I found interesting is that your parents seem to be uh, excommunicated from churches because they spoke up. They just yes. raised concerns about what was going on in the churches that they were attending. And essentially that marked them as a threat. Is that accurate? Yes. As an adult, it's it's one of those things where you look back on interactions with your parents or with your family and because you've always heard it from their point of view. And so I'm like, what is a more objective perspective? But they definitely were called out, pushed aside, and in this regard with this first church, told to leave. And we eventually left the neighborhood largely because of this, just because this was a strong neighborhood church. And uh, it's really difficult when you go to the grocery store and someone who is your best friend sees you in the aisle, takes one look, grabs their kid's hands and turns the other way. I have so many memories of my mother just like weeping in the grocery store because she would run into someone who took this excommunication seriously and we were not to be spoken to. And that applied all the way down to the children, too, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, at the time, I didn't understand why, but I lost my friends. My parents did, too. And we lost our community. Something um, I had a friend send me recently was this research that they're doing. And she's going to school for psychology, for like addiction or something like that. But there's this research they're doing where they're seeing now with brain scans, that brains actually respond the same way to isolation in the world from like communities as they do to physical pain. Our brains actually process being isolated from people we care about and love or being shunned, like you're talking about, in the same way that they process physical pain. So it is actually like a, a wound to our psyche that happens. Yeah. I don't think that people even have the wherewithal or the space to understand how damaging that is. It's a wound and it has to heal. Like yes. you, if you have a wound that never heals, then it just stays a wound forever. So I'm so sorry for what you guys experienced. It's horrific. And you had that happen to as a little kid. As a parent, I look at my kids and think about this idea of them carrying that wound. And it's just profound and super sad. I'm sorry. Thank you. I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry that happened too. And I think one of the outcomes of that was just due to the fact that church involvement was still so important to our family that I could never engage with church in a way where I was not suspicious Yeah, because I had reason to be suspicious and that was really hard to explain. And mm -hmm. I think that led to a level of cynicism, but also a level of criticality because we were raised very strongly to be critical thinkers. Kind of like Jay said, my parents got in trouble for speaking up. And that was something that as a kid, the thing that I longed for most was the ability to go to church, not be serving, not be Sunday school teachers, not be involved with anything else, but just attend church, go home. <laughs> But my parents were always heavily, deeply involved because that was what our family life revolved around. So when that was pulled away, 
uh, that was an extreme loss. Yeah. So, Lindsay, we now want to pivot toward Acts 29 Church. You attended it in Kansas City. Now, what's interesting is this is the same church for one of our uh, previous storytellers, Elizabeth. Uh, so we do want to make that connection that this is uh, the same church we're talking about. So one of the things we want to talk about, Lindsay, is you you come into this church. You know, you have this past church trauma, uh, but you're really desiring community. And one of the interesting parts of your story is you almost kind of immediately jump into trying to understand what it means to be a member of this church, right? Can you walk us through that? What was that like? Yeah, so I was very eager to make friends. Um, at the time in my career, I worked primarily with children, so my coworkers were babies, and there was no other way for me to make friends in the city, and I was really looking for a church community that was important to me, but I wanted one with peers and multiple people kept pointing me towards uh, this church that was not too far from me, that was in the city, uh, that had a lot of their identity wrapped around uh, being missional in the city, in the neighborhoods. And there was probably the vast majority of the members and attendees were uh, people my age and uh, people who are single, just like me and in their 20s. And I wanted the full gamut, but I wanted people who are primarily my age. And I started attending there in 2011. And pretty much immediately, I knew that the best way to get connected was to join a gospel community group or a GC. And I was told after I tried to sign up that they were all full. And they said, actually, you haven't gone here long enough. You like, there's no room for you here. We're not going to put you in one. And wait, that was... Wait, that. <laughs> like it was like a, a draft, like a gospel community draft. You had to be drafted into one, essentially. Or, or you know, rush week, basically uh, rush, rush week. week yeah, so. that's probably a better way. Like, you're <laughs> oh rushing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's so weird. So that is bizarre. So they told you, well, no room. Sorry. Doors are closed. Yeah. Which was stunning to me because I knew that like the best way to get to know people to get involved was to join a small group. And I mean, we could call all of this foreshadowing, but they immediately said, well, we can't get you into a GC. Like this church was very large. And again, like this is not a university class with a certain number of cap to the students. So I was somewhat flabbergasted and they were like, well, go take a membership class instead. So they immediately pivoted me towards membership. That was not something that I was looking to go down the path of. Membership for me has always been something where I'm like, okay, like what, once you commit to something and sign pieces of paper, like there is an additional level of oversight, but I'm a good egg. I was just ready to say, okay, let's, Let's try this. So I joined the membership class because I figured that is another GC in a sense because that is that's another group of people. Kind of like the stepping stone into a GC. I'm sure that's probably what they even said. <laughs> it sounds like something they would say. Well, they definitely framed it that way for me, which was yeah. interesting because I had only gone to the church for a month or less than a month. So you would think that before you ask someone to commit... You would want them to kind of get a feel for the place, get to know, like, yeah. But again, rush week, uh, you have... It was approaching quickly. 
Yes. You have a short amount of time to decide who who you're going to pledge with. And it was in the basement with me and about 100 other people. That makes this story way scarier. They're all in a basement. Yeah. Were they all were they all the rejects from community groups? Like where there's a sign like we didn't make it. So it's like we didn't make it. So we got to do this. Yeah. I mean the so, basement was basically just the basement. a whole bunch of hope. Oh, that's even yeah. better. Where the all, hazing happened. All huff, all Hufflepuffs. I mean, <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So you're so you're in the basement with with all the other people going to membership yes. class. Okay. And and there were some people who had not made it into a GC. I remember distinctly. I was table number twelve, and there were about eight people at my table. So. There were a lot of tables in here, and we met for several weeks, and uh, we were given a binder, and we were introduced to, like, you know, the church history, the missional statement, um, the impact statement, like, all of the things that the church held as values, the things that they believed in, and it was very extensive, and... I had, you know, been a member at a previous church and it was far less intense. I was basically asked to stand up on the stage and renounce Satan and that's it. But with this one, it was a very intensive process where they took us through like, this is what we expect of membership. Uh, This is the process you need to go through. And the process as they outlined it was uh, you submit your personal story or your testimony. Uh, I don't remember them using the word testimony, but as someone who went to Christian schools, that is what you have to write every year at the beginning of school and hope that you had a shattering story, hoping that happened to you across the summer. So to make your life more interesting. At youth camp, when you were yes. nailing your sins to the cross. Yes. Yes. <sighs> Burning them in the fire. Did you listen <sighs> to something that was not contemporary Christian music? And do you need to confess it? So. <laughs> Nail that thing right on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But okay, so uh, you have to submit your own testimony in the process of going through this membership class. Yes. Uh, you had to have a membership sponsor. And uh, that was what that was the di- heck is this? This is insane. <laughs> that was difficult for me because I was so new to the church. I didn't know anybody. So for my membership sponsor, I literally just chose uh, the person who was leading our table. And I said, Hey, can you be my membership sponsor? And she was really busy. I think we met once, like we were supposed to meet several times. Um, I mean, at this point, is this membership? Is this AA? Do we know? But you had to submit your personal story, but you were also told as a part of this community, as part of this family, these are the expectations and and the requirements put upon you. One of them was you were required to sign up to volunteer in one of the various ministries, which I had no problem with. I I saw all of these as opportunities to effectively get plugged into the church, which is what I wanted. And from there, your membership sponsor would then uh, kind of guide you through this process. They were also very clear on tithing. They didn't say that it was required outright, but they did say that they would be checking up on you if you didn't tithe. And uh, what would 
Like they would just, you know, have a check-in to see why you hadn't put your uh, direct deposit on there or direct deposit. making sure that direct deposit like our EFT that was highly encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. EFT like, okay. Yeah. Uh, that was not required. You could put it in the offering, but, but it was very clear that it would be tracked. And if you dropped off, uh, of your tithing, you needed to basically explain why. And they, they framed it and couched it as we care about you. Uh, we want to know what's happening. Did you lose your job? How can we help you? But I mean, anyone with two eyes can see that this is more about like tracking your financials <laughs> and yeah. the- money. It's more yes. actually just about money. Yeah. Yes. And for yeah. those who don't know what tithing is, tithing is um, a principle of giving back to the church a percentage of what you earn or make or create or what have you. And really it's turned into um, in the church, you know, money, giving money to the church and it's a big deal. Um, and then they say they use those funds for different, church support and church functions, which, you know, hopefully most churches do, but it's an interesting topic that we should explore more on in future episodes. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> all right. But. So you're in the basement with all the other rejects and, uh, you get, yes. you, you get a, you get told, all right, I got to get a sponsor. You can't find a sponsor, but you do write your personal story. So, yes. right. So eventually you do get the green light to get into a gospel community group, correct? Or gospel community? Sort of. What happened was with my personal story, uh, I submitted that. And with that one, I I went out on a ledge and I decided to just be honest about my church history. I remember writing this and I had the opportunity to, of course, just say like, oh, I grew up going to this church. And then like I went to Bible camp and I went to a Christian university. Like, I could tailor this however I wanted, but I decided to be a bit more honest and go into the family history that I've shared here of what that was like. And just, I wanted to make an effort to be authentic and real and vulnerable because those are the things that you are told to do in church. You're told to trust people. Like you are not expected to earn that trust. You're expected to just hand it over blindly. And uh, so I submitted that story and my membership process, like you could track it online. Um, and what it, in the world? Uh-huh. And <sighs> it was frozen. Like I was told my my membership uh, process was frozen after I submitted my personal story. And if, at that point I panicked because I was just like, I told them too much. I am damaged goods. They know this. I am now on their radar, and this is bad. We are talking about a church, right? This isn't like a sci-fi <laughs> movie. Like, this is just you trying to join a church, right? I mean, the parallels are endless. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But, well, at that point, I I decided to reach out to a pastor. It was six weeks later. My personal story was still frozen, quote unquote, and... uh I reached out to a pastor and I was just like, what is happening? And at this point I was starting to get upset. Cause I was like, you told me not, he did not tell me directly, but I was like this, your church has communicated to me. I cannot be in a gospel community group. You referred me to this class. And another thing that had kind of freaked me out about the class is that there were about 20 some pages in the binder on church discipline. And as someone who had 
personal intimate knowledge of what it was like to experience church discipline. Uh, that was a huge red flag to me that they were, that they had so much information about it and what the process was like and what it looked like. Uh, and at this point, I just wanted to get through the membership process as quickly as possible because the end stage of the membership process was talking to a pastor. And it kind of like with customer service where you are uh, talking to like a robot or AI, you just want to get to a human. And at this point, I just wanted to talk to a pastor. So I reached out to one of the uh, founding pastors at the church and I said, hey, this has been my experience. Did I just get dropped through the cracks? What is happening here? I jumped through the rest of the hoops. I signed up for uh, volunteering. I think I signed up to tithe, although I can confirm that I never actually did. So, <laughs> uh, I finally made I'm it. I'm sure to... they can confirm that too for us <laughs> if we need to to look it up. <laughs> they have the receipts. I finally made it to the meeting with the pastor and. I said, listen, I have no interest in becoming a member because this has been my experience at your church. And I said, I literally just wanted to come, go to church service, meet some friends, join a small group. And I basically laid out for him all the things that were deeply concerning to me. And my membership sponsor was sitting there. And I remember her jaw was just like hanging open because... I had not shared this with her and she had also been fairly absent in the process. Mm -hmm. So the pastor turned to me and he said, well, after all that, he said, I don't blame you. And he said, mm -hmm. I don't think you would want to be a member of the church. And so I said, listen, I said, I, I still want to go here. I still want to experience all the things that people say are amazing. So yeah, you have made some friends here at this point. Not really, because uh -huh. I had met a few people, of course, in my membership class, but I felt very isolated Okay, still. And at this point, I just wanted to get into a gospel community and see, like, can I make friends here? And yeah. it was a very large church, and mm -hmm. that can make it both easier and harder at various points to yeah. get connected. Mm -hmm. But he recommended at that point that I join a gospel community and revisit membership later, which honestly, that is all I wanted. Okay, so you join a gospel community. What is that experience like? Uh, you had multiple options for a gospel community, and I chose one that was uh, roughly half and half, uh, male and female. It was led by two leaders, a man and a woman, and because I was looking to make friends possibly date somebody like mm -hmm. <laughs> I was open to all possibilities here <laughs> yes yes and want to meet some like-minded people yes I want to meet like-minded people um and the group had zero chemistry and sometimes that happens like I encounter this at work like you know you're in a meeting and no one is talking and so or the one or two same people talk every single time, and that was what it was. But uh, of the leaders, the female leader, she was also on staff at the church, of course, not as a pastor, because women cannot be pastors. Let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a director of community development. Um, we can call her Director R. Mm -hmm. uh, she led the group, and she had a very gregarious personality that 
I found rather abrasive just because I was trying to show up to the group and just be the bringer of good snacks, uh, participate in conversation, make some friends. And she was just very loud, very abrasive, uh, kind of jarring personality that I think for some of the rest of us who are a little bit quieter was a bit of a turnoff. And I recognized that, you know, she had a tough job leading the group and, but also just like the group was not clicking, but I was determined to commit and show up. And I think definitely in reference to my childhood experiences where I felt like we left churches or we were told that we had to leave churches. My goal no matter how much the group sucked, (laughs) which it did, I was going to go. I was going to show up every single week. I was going to commit. I was going to show up with a good attitude. Again, bring really good snacks. I was going to get to know people, even though it was like, I think GC's lasted for like six or nine months. So yeah, it was like six or nine months of really bad first dates week after week, just with the same person. How many people were in the this particular group? I want to say about 14, because uh, I know they had discussed like, oh, do we need to like create a smaller group? And But yeah, there were about seven guys and seven girls. So I did not really click with anyone there, but I, man, I tried. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... You stay there for about nine months, you said, and then what happens? Uh, towards the end of my time there, uh, director R, she invited me out for coffee. And to be honest, I had kind of been dodging her at group just because, again, our personalities didn't click. And I was not looking to spend more one-on-one time with her. I recognized that, like, you know, plenty of other people probably clicked with her, got along with her. I was not one of them. So I was not looking to uh, be pulled into her crosshairs. But she asked me out to coffee and um, just to get to know me better. And again, I didn't really want to, but I was just like, no, this is important. I joined this church. I need to show up as flexible, pliant, compliant. And uh, so I went to coffee and she was just like, tell me about your story. Tell me about how you came to be here. And... I remember sitting there and I knew that I could take two paths. I could, you know, give a broad overview, give the sunny side, or I could give the more honest of like, I've had a little bit of a rocky go at this church. um, And I have had rocky experiences at churches my whole life. And so that leads me to uh, come to church and show up at church with uh, hesitancy, skepticism, a lack of desire to just drop all of my trust into an institution or a person. And I opted to go for the full honesty, full vulnerability, because I know that there is a lot of truth to the fact that if you are asking for vulnerability from another person, sometimes you need to be vulnerable yourself. And that was effectively what I was going for is I, I wanted deep friendships. I didn't think that I would get it with her, but also I was just like, maybe don't discount this person. Um, I also was not listening to my gut. And I saw having that conversation with her is sending up a test balloon. Will this person respond to me with kindness, compassion, and empathy and interest? 
And she did initially, but I remember walking away from that coffee feeling like I strongly regretted telling her as much as I did. I felt that I had been vulnerable. And instead of having the response be uh, vulnerability in return or just acceptance, I felt like it just, it didn't land. And I couldn't really put a finger on it until much later as to why. Mm-hmm. Was it, was she more like inquisitive about when you shared details about your life or was it more like judgmental toward you? I didn't get a strong judgmental vibe at the time. Uh, there were a lot of questions as to like, oh, you had quite an interesting church history. Uh, how are you responding to that now? How are you showing up to church now? Uh, she used a lot of Christian lingo in Christianese, which I am deeply allergic to. So, <laughs> so if someone says they want to, and this was a phrase that she had said, cast a vision of care for me. And right now uh, I'm getting reflex just saying that. But, and at the time I did as well, just because what are those words? And that was something that I saw a lot of from her and at this church was a lot of words that sound like kindness, but they are not. And once you actually filter through like, cast a vision of care, yeah, you're like, so you're saying what now? Like, what, what does that mean in plain English? And asking people who prefer to speak in those terms to spell out what they're saying, they don't want to do it. What I find like really interesting about your story is because of your experience as a child, you entered this church, how all of our storytellers and and me and Jay probably enter a church now. Um, So it's kind of like you from the get-go entered this church skeptic um, with big questions, Um, but it's fair. (laughs) because of your experience and yeah you just kind of had your finger on the pulse before a lot of people that are walking into these like toxic or abusive situations because of your past and a lot of people that have shared their story with us are now entering their own institutions and churches with that same like you're putting words to the emotions that many of us feel when we walk into these settings which is just it's an interesting part of your story because you like from day one were already seeing these things and asking these questions like the red flags were there and because of your history you saw them immediately and felt them immediately yeah but I didn't listen to them because I was determined to trowel on the positive intent And that was in part due to uh, what we're taught to do at church, Mm -hmm. Um, how you're expected to implicitly trust people. And just, I was determined to do that because to some degree, I felt that uh, that had not happened within my own family. And I was determined to have a positive church experience come hell or high water and what And I assumed that uh, perhaps my parents had held a lot of the responsibility for why that we had to leave. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to be the most positive person ever. So no one will ever have any cause to tell me to leave. Mm 
Right. And so you're holding like you have kind of got like two hands here. You have like your logic and mm-hmm. your gut and your ability to see things very clearly. But then you have your benefit of the doubt. Honestly, like toxic positivity, you'd probably yes. say now, like it was unhelpful for you. This like give grace, continuously give grace, give grace, give grace, regardless of how dangerous this looks, because you're fighting with your logic because of your history. Yes. Um, I have a question. All right. I have a question before we move yeah. on. So your your membership was frozen and then you go to this GC. Do you think that pastor who you talked to talked to this director? Because the way you describe, oh, undoubtedly, yeah, this way you describe this meeting, it's not really about your empathy or understanding. It's a fact finding mission to see what they need to do with you. That's how I interpret it. I think at the time I assumed I was way too much of a small fish because, again, like this was a huge church. Uh, you know, they were funneling people down the membership chute like cattle going off to market, and they like. I figured that she was just trying to take an interest in me, but in retrospect, especially because this pastor was continuously involved uh, at various points in the rest of my story there, uh, I'm sure it got flagged up in some form or fashion, especially because like uh, director R and I were never friends really. And especially after this GC, uh, I felt no need to try and be friends with her. Right. Well, and like, let's assume that every single part of this story isn't just villains using us to like play puppets. And maybe that pastor you originally talked to was like, she wasn't cared for. We need to actually care for her. Like we have dropped her. She's entering your small group now. Her membership's frozen because of this bad experience. Let's actually care for this person. Let's say in some world, maybe that happened. That could be what started this. Either way, the rest of your story kind of points towards more unhealth. So, yes. Yeah. All right. So we're going to pivot toward the sci-fi part of the story. Horror horror (laughs) sci-fi movie. So ultimately, you decide around 2012 you're you're seeing red flags especially after you talk to director r you're just gonna step back from this church correct yes at that point uh the bad experiences had piled up and i'm like you know what this is this is not the only game in town and i decided to check out some other churches but uh yeah what what eventually brought me back i went to some other churches and uh, I ended up moving in with a new roommate who uh, was from my hometown and uh, she happened to attend this same church. And so she was like, do you want to come back with me? And I'm like, I've already been there, been there, done that. And it wasn't good. And she was like, well, maybe it'll be different now. Cause at this point it was about a year and a half later. Okay. And uh, a year and a half. So like 2013, 2014? 2013. 2013. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, you decide yes. to do the sequel, uh, Acts 29, Kansas City, <laughs> the church sequel. Uh, you have a friend now. 
So are you allowed this time to just jump into a new gospel community group? Do you have to go back to the basement? What does that look like? <laughs> I mean, everything goes back to the basement, right? <laughs> so yeah. next up was the blood oath. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what, I'm sorry to make uh, light, of it, light of it. I mean, your story is horrific, <laughs> but like it literally sounds like a horror movie. Like I feel like it does. We're writing a yeah. horror movie. So, anyways, yes. So, okay. Well, and I mean, more to the point, uh, in the basement because they were <laughs> under construction, they literally had just bare light bulbs <laughs> strung on. Like, I mean, so yes, we are not far off a horror story. Just. Turn down the lights a little bit, and uh, we're there. Oh, my gosh. So. <laughs> That's so horrible. Um, okay, so you're back. You get it, to join a gospel community group, right? Or you think you do? Um, At that point, I was just like, eh, we're, we're going to take this real slow. We're going to right. walk in very slowly, uh, very carefully, carry a big stick. And uh, my roommate, she and I started to volunteer at a holiday event that they had. And uh, that is where I ran into director R again. And she immediately saw me and recognized me. And again, like this, like this, I will say is like one of her strengths is that like, she remembered people. Uh, In this case, I didn't want to be remembered. Uh, (laughs) Yes. I did not down. Don't make eye contact. I just want to be here. Yes. I just want to exist. I don't want to deal with this. Yes, and I especially did not want to be caught in her crosshairs because uh, I did not consider that to be particularly friendly. Um, mm-hmm. And she ran into me. She found me like from across the room, and she's like, oh, my gosh, you're back. And I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> um, immediately looking for the exit. And I was just like, yeah, sort of, kind of. Again, like at this point, I did not trust her. I knew that my decision to confide in her before was not the best one for me, but Mm -hmm. it was done. So at this point I was going to hold my cards very close to my chest and Mm -hmm. she was just like, Oh, you're back. And how long have you been back? And I didn't want to give her very many details. And uh, shortly thereafter I joined a new GC and third time's a charm. Uh, This GC was great. And I was in it with my roommates. We had Mm -hmm. A married couple for our GC leaders, and it was hosted at their house. Uh, the group clicked really well, and uh, I look back on, despite what was to come, uh, I look back at like those few months as a really positive time because my roommate and I, we we had everyone in our group over for dinner, uh, and we would say bring a friend or bring someone else from the group. And we hosted dinner two or three times a week. And that was really leaning into the church community that that I'd wanted for so long. And I felt like, finally, this is what I wanted. And it was really important to me to uh, turn over a fresh leaf. I had tried that at this church before, hadn't worked out. So here I was again, new leaf whole new leaf, whole new plant. And, uh, it, it was going really well until I got a phone call. I want to say 
few weeks, maybe a month into attending this GC, like I did not know my leaders very well. And again, like there was definitely a level of image control going on for me because I knew that I had such rocky things that I was determined that people would not find out until they knew who I am. And I wanted them to get to know me and not my history first. So I wasn't trying to hide it, but I also didn't want to lead with like, hey, I have spiritual abuse in my past. My name's Lindsay. What's yours? Like, no. But right. what's, and what's crazy to me, right, is is Lindsay, like your story, it your past is just that you were mistreated by a church, abused by a church, right? There's no shame in that. But yet, like, you have this shame to share your story with others, which blows me away. Like, the church and a, com- a gospel community be- should be the first place that a person can come without shame and say, here is my story. And, and, and the community should hold and love that story with dignity and honor. And the fact that you even, like, are afraid to just even share that part of your story it just blows my mind and breaks my heart too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's baggage. I mean, that is how I viewed it for so long. I, I don't think I was even putting the words abuse to it. I saw it as baggage and I didn't want to share the baggage until I had shown people um, the other parts of myself. And so I get a call from uh one of my GC leaders, uh, leader K and, uh, she calls me and she says, so director R let me know that you have, uh, some church history. And she was like, it doesn't sound like it's very good. It sounds like you've had some bad experiences here. And she's like, she told me what happened to you in your past And she's like, I think we need to have a meeting to talk about it. And it was specifically how she phrased that, not as a, like, are you okay? It was, we need to talk about this. Like, I have learned something about you, and I need to know more. And, I mean, that was literally, like, the call of my nightmare, because I had not told anyone any of these things, and I didn't want to. So Yeah, and for you, that's, like, a very personal part of your history it was painful and that's your story to share it wasn't someone else's story to share and it's gossip exactly it's gossip yeah. director r is <laughs> gossiping about you she is and she has no right to do that so no she was casting care casting for care me for- remember she was casting a vision of care yes and i was infuriated because as you said, like this was not her information to share. And I made that very clear to my GC leader. And I said, yes, I was like, I do have uh, a lot of rocky history with the church. Cause again, I was not putting words like trauma, spiritual abuse, any of those like to that. I still saw this as baggage. I still saw this as like, I come with a weird story. I'm responsible for my own skepticism, cynicism, uh, my desire for people to earn trust. And I saw that as um, kind of a hit to my own personality. And, but I told her like, 
that was not for her to share. And so she's like, well, we need to talk about this and like, let's schedule a meeting. And I did not want to go, but again, I was determined to just like pile on the positive intent. And I really just wanted to show up as a very positive person, always willing to be helpful. And if I'm told to show up someplace, I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to come show up and be helpful. And I did uh, email Director R and I said, listen, I said, that was private information. That's my own personal story. And I said, that is not for you to share. And I said, please do not share that with anyone else. And I felt like in that moment, I was taking some of my voice back because she had taken it from me. But also I was taking back the fact that like, I had regretted telling her any of this right after I did, but I hoped at least that like she would honor those experiences and keep it to herself. Um. (laughs) And in a healthy, in a healthy church environment, if you tell someone that this is something you struggle with, this is something in your past that makes it really hard for you to feel safe, then they give you the space to feel that way and slowly earn your trust. Like you're not the problem walking in there with this, with these wounds and the church should be a place that is able to he- be bring healing and be a source of healing. And that doesn't look like some quick, like, let's rip the Band-Aid off and get you to sign a membership covenant. That looks like slow, earned trust, like relational equity that's built over time, especially for spiritual abuse victims. Yeah, I can... I can say with all honesty and all positive intent applied, I've never had that experience at a single church. Yeah. Ever. And that's um, sad. Because we probably, it is sad. Probably countless people that have that echo that same sentiment. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and most people don't actually just outright say it like you did. Like most people aren't going to go in and be like, hey, just so FYI, I've had a lot of trauma at churches. So I need, like care in a different way, people are just going to go. And then in a situation like the church you were at, they're going to to be wounded again or they're going to run. So mm-hmm. you actually were offering so much grace to this leadership team by being open and honest and saying like, hey, I want you actually were what you desired was them to come alongside you in a healthy way and kind of help bring restoration about in your own life in regards to your relationship with the church, whether you were able to like name that or not at the moment, that's what you were offering. And instead of them doing that, they saw it as a threat. And the reason I think they saw it as a threat is because you, your, I call it like spidey senses. I'm pretty sure it's probably (laughs) like, I'm not a psychologist, but it's probably actually just like PTSD. But like that spikes up when you see these dangerous things really loudly and in a place where those dangerous things are like the, that's the bar. Like we, we not only know those dangerous things exist, but think they're not dangerous and think they're good. Then you are, you become the enemy, um, which is right there. Why we can say this was a toxic, unhealthy situation that you were in. Yeah. Yeah. And 
what I've always told people is you would assume that someone with uh, my past experiences that I would insist on hanging out on the fringes of church, avoiding membership, uh, just like being very suspicious, which I was, but I also continuously at any church I ever attended, because again, this was modeled for me in my own family, was to push past that, jump in, volunteer, become an integral part of the church. I had taught Sunday school. I had directed VBS, like uh, not at this particular church in Kansas City, because I mean, was never really given the opportunity, but uh, <laughs> but that was something that like I always did. Like no one could ever be like, hey, you're so skeptical that you're never getting involved. Like, uh-uh. Like I I was constantly getting involved and um finding ways to really just be a part of the community, to give into that community, give of my time, my resources, and mm-hmm. um never putting boundaries on it. <laughs> Because yeah. I was not taught that either. And uh, that was something that I was always very eager to do was to just um, be a very vital part of the church. And it felt like with this church in Kansas City, I kept trying to do that. And when it finally clicked, then they dropped the other shoe. And uh, I met with my GC leaders. And in fact, when I showed up to that meeting, um, I went over to their house and uh, Leader Kay, I was hoping to meet with both her and her husband because especially when you're about to talk about something that is very heavy, um, very difficult to talk about, um, I wanted multiple perspectives. I had gotten similar vibes from her that I had gotten from Director R. So um, I wanted her husband around as a counterbalance and also just because I had clicked with him as well. But because this is Acts 29 we're talking about, um, I mean, it should have been okay because it would have been, you know, two women in the room. Horrible things happen when just it's one man and one woman in room. Like, <laughs> But he uh, immediately went down to the basement and I was sat down with uh, Leader K and to tell my story. And at this point, I didn't want to, I really didn't want to. Everything in my body was telling me, do not do this. But I was like, no. I was like, I need to show up with like a servant heart. I need to show up with a willing attitude, benefit of the doubt. And so I basically told her everything. And I said, well, I want to know what Director R told you. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, you tell me and I'll tell you if that's right. I mean, You'd think that we were discussing a math test, not like my own literal personal life. <laughs> right. And uh, so I told her everything. And that was when um, I very much started to see the physical manifestations of PTSD. Because mm-hmm. at that point, I felt very disconnected from my own body. I... Uh, I was going numb. I just kind of shut down. And so I was like, yep, this is my story. Yep, this is why it's hard for me to come to church. And also let me reiterate, it was none of Director R's responsibility, purview, or anything to share this with you. And I said, I had no intention of sharing this with you because I said, it is not relevant. We are doing like a sermon study. We are going out to dinner. We are playing flag frisbee. Like 
none we of those things worked towards relational like yeah. i don't have any relational equity with you i don't know you why would i share this with you but i mean in the church and especially in gospel communities like i think it's pushed to to go to that point of like radical honesty and radical vulnerability and it almost becomes where they're like feeding off of secrets and feeding mm-hmm. off of like people's personal details and yeah. that's definitely how it felt to me is that they wanted to know everything about my life so that they could pick through it mm. and pick through it with their own assumptions draw their own conclusions and i was not allowed to decide what i wanted what i did and did not want to share and after that Um, I went home. I was devastated just because I was like, someone has found out like the worst parts about me, which again, like these are things that happened to me. And especially as a child, these were things I had no control over. Um, And I felt like she now knew the worst parts of me and it had been told to her by someone else. I wasn't allowed to present the person to the leaders who I wanted them to get to know, which was effectively me. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because your trauma does not define you. Like the experiences you had aren't you. They help shape you, but they aren't you. So you didn't want that label. You just wanted to be able to be you. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like that, that was officially ripped away um, when Director R basically told them everything that I had told her. And uh, after I said You didn't want to be a project, too, right? No. I'm assuming. You're like, I don't no. want your vision of... I don't want you to cast a vision of care over me. I just <laughs> no. want to be a person here. I don't want to be a project. I'll work yeah. through my stuff. You work through your stuff. Let's see if we work... like. Let's see if this works with that going on. Like, we don't need, I don't need you in my business. Yeah. Like, especially you at that point, I don't know if you had words for this, but you didn't need a a unqualified there. Like, you didn't need somebody to come in as as if they were a therapist to work through this with you. You needed like a professional therapist to work through this with you. Yes. So, yeah. And ironically, with professional therapists, they don't push you to say more than you want to. So that was not the case here. And uh, after this, Director R was insistent that I have a meeting with her and Leader K after church one Sunday. And I was like, why? Why is this necessary? Like, I did not want to cross paths with her ever again. Like, I had not wanted to... Uh, get caught in her laser beams, but I had. And now I really didn't want to see her after she had breached Mm -hmm. confidentiality. And so I said, no, we don't need to meet. That is not necessary. And And Leader K is your your GC leader at the time, right? This woman that you met with without her husband. Okay. Yes. Um, Yeah. So Director R and Leader K... It was mostly Director R, but she was like, "We, the three of us need to sit down and meet. And I was like, why? Like, to what end? 
And she was like, well, there, there's tension here. And I'm thinking, yeah, you created it. You like, you brought it here. So, I mean, I, I made it very clear. I said, I have nothing to say. I have no quarrel with you. I have said my piece. And now I am like, I would just like to go back to spending time with uh, my group and trying to like attend this church, which was making it real hard to do. And she was insistent that I come and she said, we will meet after this service. And she's like, I know you go to this service. I've seen you attend. And at that point, I'm like, are you stalking me? And right. uh, cause the church I think had like three or four services at this point. And I mean, to know exactly which one that I went to, which was not consistent. I was just like, Ooh, okay. But yeah. she was like, we need to have a meeting. And I refused. And, she, and I said, I don't need to. And she said, well, we're called to be at peace with all people. And I said, great, we're at peace. And she said, no, we need to do this for me. We need to meet for me. And at that point, I definitely felt that I was being bullied. But again, the stronger urge was to show up and just benefit of the doubt. Or at this point, I fully didn't trust her or Leader K. But at this point, I did not want to speak up. I did not want to cause any trouble, ruffle any feathers, make any waves. And, but also like the red flags were mounting and ultimately like I'm, I've never been someone to just kind of lie down and roll over. And that was coming to the fore. And I did go to this meeting, sat there silently. Cause I was like, if I don't say anything, this meeting will be over in five minutes, hopefully. Right. Because you were the one who was hurt. Yeah. You told her it hurt you. You said you're fine. So I, I mean, and I'm trying to figure out like what their motive was beyond like, were they just coming to actually physically say I'm sorry to you? No, they were coming to physically say that it was Director R's right to share my personal story. Right. So they were coming to tell you it was wrong that you had a problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to reiterate that she had my best interest at heart, and I needed to accept that. I needed to, uh, I needed to acquiesce to her version of events. And I was not interested in that. And I didn't say anything in that meeting. I remember where I was sitting. I remember what I was wearing. Um, Cause I just sat and stared at my shoes the whole time and they were just very insistent that them knowing more about my own personal history was their prerogative, their right. And they could talk about it between the two of them. They could talk about it to me. I needed to enter into this conversation for healing. And um, at this point after this meeting, uh, my GC leaders said um, that they needed to set up regular meetings with me. And I didn't know why, but again, trying to just, you know, not be combative. I was like, okay. And I went, you know, I I actually did have a question. Um, uh, The question that I had, and I mean, have you ever 
tried to really understand because there seems to be like a mild obsession with you that they both had and i like reading through your story like 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 i literally pick it up it's you you pick up this like obsession with getting you to talk and meet with you and be around you have you like do you have any insight on why that is is it just because they wanted they wanted you to fall in line with them or was it something else if i had to guess i would probably say that uh it was because i wasn't falling in line with what they wanted and i was very clearly pointing out where this was falling apart and what i felt were boundaries that they were violating. And I think that was probably the biggest thing is that, especially in church, especially in Acts 29 churches, you are not allowed to have boundaries. And whatever boundaries you do have are predetermined by the church. And I had told a director at the church that she had violated a boundary of mine, a boundary that she determined I did not need to have. And I had also had this snafu with the membership where I, you know, went down the funnel, jumped through all the hoops, and then told a pastor to his face, I don't want to become a member here. So, and then the fact that I popped back up. So I think it was a determination to bring me to heal. Yeah. I think this does all just come back to that vision of care. Like, <laughs> cast, cast you, the vision of care. Yeah. Casting. And it... And it does, I think that's what's so dangerous, though, is a lot of people that are doing this in these leadership positions don't realize how damaging the things they're doing are. They think they're literally doing something good. Yeah. Well, and they want to be validated that what they're doing is right. And I was not giving them that validation. I was saying, hey, actually, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is harmful and hurtful. I don't want to share this with you. And then, I don't know, it's like, was I a particularly juicy wildebeest within their sights and they just wanted to come after me? I mean. <laughs> I mean, that's what blows me away is like your your story, your story is about, your personal story is about church trauma. Mm -hmm. And it it's not like, you're you're not like setting the world on fire with the most scandalous story ever. Your your story is heartbreaking, right? But it's about church trauma. The way they're treating you is like you're the clown, not the clown, but like the the town. They were treating you kind of like you were like had a scarlet letter or something. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Your That's witchy ways. Yeah, wi yeah, witchy. Were <laughs> Yes. I am yeah. Hester Prynne. So <laughs> I uh, I showed up to coffee meetings with my GC leaders. These are things that, like, as I've talked about this in therapy, because uh, I remember the meetings. I don't remember how many I had, but I know that there were several. And the things that I remember most clearly now are um, the very tangible physical things. Like I remember how I felt. I remember the chairs that we sat in. I remember the coffee shop. What we talked about is less clear because at that point I was just so overcome with the fact that this was repeatedly traumatizing. And I know that the leaders, they were just like hammering in on what was wrong with me, which I mean, 
what was wrong with me? Nothing. And exactly. They were determined to get to the bottom of my trauma. And that is why it felt that I effectively had an open wound. I showed up to this church with an open wound and they were like, here, let me go get a very sharp knife and just pick through all the layers and see which ones I want to press on. And they were all raw. They were all bleeding. And they wanted to talk to me about them. At that point, I was not interested. And I said, listen, I've already told you all that I'm going to say. This is my personal story. This is my childhood. This is why I'm here. I'm still coming to church. And at this point, they had really zeroed in on the fact that I had not yet become a member. And they were now saying that I was being combative. I was being obstinate because I was showing up to these coffee meetings. And again, I went to every single one. And I would come home from those and I would just collapse on the floor of my living room. Um, Sometimes I would immediately have to run in my bathroom and start throwing up. Like the physical manifestations of trauma were were there to such a degree that even I couldn't ignore them. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, it was awful and I didn't understand why it was happening, but but I was like, I still have to go. I still have to go to these things because no matter what they say to me, I have to show up. And I mean, that's it right there. I had to show well, up. I felt that I needed to be there. And during this time, were you still going to your small group? Yes. So you're still like have this community that you've grown to care about and enjoy and love. And you've, you at this point have made friends here and your roommate yeah. is in it with you. So you don't want to give that up. No, no. I, I felt like I was living dual experiences because uh, the, the GCs were held uh, weekly at the leader's house. And mm-hmm. I remember I would dodge the leaders because, you know, like there was a, a large group of us, I want to say around 10. And mm-hmm. so I would show up with my roommate and she knew uh, that she needed to uh, basically like ward them off because I was like, yeah. I don't want to talk to them. There's weird stuff going on. I don't know why. She was read into the situation, but she also didn't really get it because yeah. – She'd never had a negative experience at church. And so I was just like, dude, it's weird. I don't know what's happening, but I don't want to talk to them. So, and she even came with me to one of these coffee meetings and she's like, why are you asking Lindsay all these questions? She didn't do anything. What are you trying to get at? Like, I felt like they were trying to dig for some sort of um, unknown sin. Cause I know that was one thing that it eventually did turn into, but at the GC's, I was still determined to show everyone that, like, I'm a nice person. I am a great friend. And we would still have people over for dinner, but I was avoiding the leaders. And I remember um, Leader K at this point, she was fairly aggressive in um, making sure to, like, pin me down after every meeting. And um, as an introvert, I'm really good at the Irish goodbye. So you'll see me in the room and then I'll leave it and you'll never know. But she would catch that and uh that's jay yeah that's a hundred percent me you just described him mm. yes. i respect that immensely yes i mean it is a skill and it's it one that i needed yeah and 
she was like, you're avoiding me. And I was like, yeah, I'm avoiding you. And I think that's another thing that threw them was the fact that, I mean, I don't think she expected me to respond in the affirmative of like, no, I'm not avoiding you. Of course not. No. I told her like, yes, I am avoiding you at this point. And I remember in our last two coffee meetings, because again, it was at the same coffee shop. How many coffee meetings did you have? I don't remember, but I want to say it was probably close to six. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Yeah. And just so that and they're probably like know, long too, right? Like an hour. They long, were long two hours. I mean, I would, I would cut them short and be like, oh my gosh, I have to go to, and you know, fill in the blank with whatever. Just to get out. Yeah. Uh, just so our listeners know, you have like an insane amount of documentation too, like yeah. of emails. And this sounds crazy, but there's it, like there's a paper trail of the weirdness that happened to you. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't say that because um, I'm questioning you. I'm say that because I want our listeners to know that how bizarre this is is really how bizarre it was like mm-hmm. there's do- you in your clarity of mind outside of the situation can now look back at like so much in writing that was just mind blowing yeah yeah and in preparing uh for this episode i i went back and read those emails and there were details that i had uh forgotten or at least like forgotten the details of and i was like oh right that happened oh oh i try to erase that memory and yeah yeah like there were i think because i have always communicated better in writing because Mm -hmm. you know you you can sit and process your thoughts and you can erase a sentence before it comes out of your mouth proverbially proverbially and uh I felt that that was the best way for me to communicate with what was effectively at this point accusations. And I didn't understand why. And that was still so unclear to me. And that's why I brought my roommate to one as a gut check. Cause I was like, yeah. you have never had these experiences. You don't look at these things through a particular colored lenses. If anything, you look mm-hmm. at church with rose colored lenses. So bring those to this and tell me what you see. Like, is there a communication breakdown that I'm having where, like, I'm inputting because of my trauma something that's not happening? Will you come yes. with me and tell me yeah. if this is as crazy as it feels? Yes. And she was completely flabbergasted. And she's like, what? Why? Why are they so? I mean, <laughs> to quote Regina George, why are you so obsessed with me? So Right. <laughs> right. It's so but- bizarre. But finally, they told me, and this is where it kind of like came full circle, but they're like, well, you need to become a member. And I'm like, after all this, absolutely not. Like, no. And I was like, why? Why would I become a member after all this, after what, what amounted to interrogations? And they were like, well, you need to become a member to go through church discipline. Mm-hmm. Discipline for what? And this all stems back. Yeah. Does this all just stem back to the fact that you were, you told Director R that you were not okay with her sharing your personal details? Probably. They did not connect it that clearly, but they said that there was clearly sin that needed to be rooted out. 
And the only way to do that was through the church discipline process. And the thing is, is that like, to me, in retrospect, thinking back at that now, it's one of the most cruel and callous things that I can think of because as someone who had experienced the trauma of church discipline and had seen it happen to my parents more than once, um, that was something that I was determined to avoid. And here I was now looking down the barrel of one of the most robust church discipline programs Mm -hmm. that I had ever seen. And I was facing that due to the fact that I didn't want to talk about my experiences with church discipline. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so bizarre. I guess they weren't a big, were they a big believer? They weren't a big believer then in the cast, the the first stone passage and the gospels. (laughs) They didn't believe that they were like, no, we're casting the stones. You better believe it. I mean, what? But you know what's also what I think too is it's intentional, right? They knew you had this yeah. trauma with discipline, so they're like almost using it against you, like guilting you or shaming you to think that at the core, hey, maybe your story, you did something wrong as a kid to cause the discipline that your family went under. Maybe you really did have a sin or your family has a sin, this generational sin here. It's just crazy. So what? how did you respond then to this ludicrous request to discipline you for I don't know what. I mean, there was absolutely no way that I was ever going to become a member at this church. I didn't even know how much longer I was going to attend this church. But I told them, I said, I didn't want to become a member the first time for reasons that I have made very explicit. And as mentioned, I have them in an email to the pastor to to one of the founding pastors. And I said, they're like, I'm absolutely not going to become a member now. Cause I was like, look how you've treated me. And I said, you are piling more hurt on top of hurt. And I told them that, like I said, you are doing to me the exact thing that I've told you I've experienced before you are adding to it. And they said, well, there is clearly Sin, we need to root out here. And the only way to do that, the is they said, you need to come under the uh, leadership direction of the church. And we can't do that unless you're a member. So they said, you need to become a member so that we can put you under discipline and bring you into like, you know, the fullness of of the congregation and like bring you back into grace insert whatever Christianese phrase of your choice, but. And this is all because you didn't want to submit? Yes, I did not want to submit. But the thing is, is that I didn't want to submit over my own personal trauma. (laughs) You didn't want to submit to something that they did not biblically have the authority to ask you to submit to. Right. So they wanted me to come under their biblical authority so that they could continue to dig through my own wounds at their discretion, at their leisure, and um, bring me under their authority. Yeah, it's not even biblical authority. They just wanted you to come under their authority. God gives like like, parameters for what authority church leadership has, and that is not part of the parameters that he gave them. No, but when has Acts 29 anywhere anything ever... Mm -hmm 
ever adhered to that. Like it's it's all about power. Okay, so what happens from here out? They try to put you under church discipline. What comes next? At this point, I said, absolutely not. And I continue to show up to GC. Like every week I'm coming to GC. I'm still hosting people for dinners. It became really important to me that while other people were basically saying, you are this, you are this sinful person, this person who is refusing to come under our authority, I needed to lean into who I knew I was. And that involved still, you know, living in community with my friends. But at that point, uh, my GC leaders, and again, this was almost entirely communicated through the female leader. Like Mm -hmm. uh, her husband, Leader M, he he came to the coffee meetings, but all of this was communicated through Leader K. And she told me, you are no longer welcome at GC or the church unless you submit and uh, become a member and are put under church discipline, that I was no longer welcome to come back to the GC um, or the church. And at that point, I was just like, what? I was like, you don't get to tell me that. And at this point, I reached out to um, to the pastor who I had talked to periodically, and I felt that one, I was completely flabbergasted that two 25-year-old pipsqueaks who are GC leaders could effectively tell someone they cannot come to the church. So um, he wrote back an email because I said, really? I was like, they can do this? And he was like, I don't have anything to say to you. And he said, I'm aware of your situation. We've been coaching your leaders this entire time. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And he just said that he's like, I pray for you. I think of you. Ironically, uh, he said a lot of same things that he has said to Elizabeth. Which you didn't know Elizabeth. I did not. I did not. Uh, our our paths there never crossed, but our experiences with the same people apparently did. Yeah. And that, like what you're saying right now makes me think back to Elizabeth's story with them sitting around the table discussing yeah. her. She talked about that. So I can only deduce that that was happening about you at that table. Yeah. And he said that the GC leaders uh, were within their full rights to tell me this and that I had the choice to become a member and go under church discipline. I mean, at that point I sent an email to my GC leaders and I said, I'm not coming back because I'm not going to become a member. Like this is awful. You have further traumatized me. And I made that very clear to them. And I the pastor was so condescending. I remember getting his email and just sitting there and crying because that was kind of my, like that was my last level of defense because I was like, okay, maybe, maybe director R and my GC leaders have gone a bit rogue here. Uh, they're insulted because I won't accept their version of events or accept more to the point that director R had a right to do what she wanted with my own personal story. And I told her otherwise. And I figured maybe there's a chance that, because again, this is a very large church. 
maybe all of this had been a little bit rogue. But then for the pastor to confirm, oh, no, we know all about this. We back them up. They get to tell you that you cannot come back unless it's under these conditions. At that point, I felt like I had no more defenses left. And I sent an email to my GC leaders saying, listen, you guys have made me feel terrible. You have added on to my horrible church experiences. And I said, I will not be coming back because I'm not becoming a member. And I think after I sent that, it didn't feel like a triumph or a win or anything like that because nobody won. (laughs) And uh, my roommate went to GC that night. And I think the thing that hurt the most is that I knew the leaders would be doing the thing that landed us in this situation in the first place. They would be telling my story without my permission, without my input, without uh, me to say what had happened. And they would be saying all of this to people who I regarded as friends. They would be driving the narrative. Yes. And they did. And I asked my roommate, I was like, did you speak up? Did you say anything? Because, you know, she's been watching this happen. And she's like, I I pointed out a few things that were wrong. But, I mean, as we all know, with Acts 29, you, like, you toe the line and you follow their directions, their commands, their leadership. And if you don't. Uh, so it did not benefit her to perhaps offer up the truth. And I think... It was dangerous for her. Yes. She didn't want to lose. She didn't want to go under church discipline. No. And it was never painted out to her because she never got close enough to being like, hey, this is not actually what happened. Or like, hey, Lindsay is actually a very nice person. You all know this. Like, uh, I don't think that became perfectly clear to her. But I think the thing that was that completely gutted me is the fact that she kept going and she kept going to the GC and she went week after week. She kept going to the church and that became very hard to live with her because I never spoke to anyone in the GC again. I think maybe one person reached out to me and that's only after they ran into me at a coffee shop, like a month later, but everyone else, like, you know, when you're told someone is, uh, tainted goods, the best thing to do is to follow the leader and walk away. I I mean, this is a church. I mean, that's what just continues to blow me away is that we're talking about church, a church. We're talking about a church that's supposed to be based on the teachings of Jesus. I don't understand how they can have any justification for discarding you like they did. Not only discarding you, but then stealing your story, manipulating it, twisting it, Mm-hmm. and and retelling it without your permission just because you wouldn't be a member of their church and buy into what you wanted what you, what they wanted you to do mm-hmm. like i don't i i still my mind still has a hard time wrapping around how they felt from from a biblical perspective they could do this to you i just I don't like Jesus didn't treat people like this. Jesus didn't go to Peter and be like, Peter, before you're a disciple, we need to talk about everything. And then, by the way, you need to sign this covenant that I have right here that I've got on this parchment paper and you need to sign it. And then you you need to make sure that we're going to review it every quarter if you're not doing your job. I mean, like 
Like he never did that. And yet we're building systems that are destroying people's souls because we want power and we want information and we want people to fall in line no matter what it means to them. And for pastors to, for a pastor to tell you that, for a pastor to discard you like that after you come and you ask him for help is evil. Mm-hmm. It is 100% yes. evil. And that pastor needs to repent and needs to seek forgiveness and understanding with God. Mm-hmm. And then he needs to go out and figure out who in the world he's hurt like this and, and try to figure out how he can help make them whole again. Like that is what they need to do. And those group leaders, I'm on a tangent, I'm sorry. <laughs> they shouldn't be group leaders. And if, if there still are, that church needs to bring those group leaders in and say, nope, you got to step back. And you need to work on yourself, and we'll provide counseling and help for you. But this is wrong, and this was this was not right. And they better not try to reach out to you and try to justify their behavior or whatever, because that just that's just crazy. I'm sorry, I'm on a tangent. Yeah. Anyways, (laughs) keep keep it coming. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And in fact, those small group leaders they continued to be small group leaders, and in essence, they got a promotion. Because they became like worship leaders. I kept wanting to believe that they saw me for who I Mm -hmm. wanted to be seen as and for who I am. But they didn't. And in addition to uh, my roommate, like I had many friends who went there. Like beyond my GC, I had a previous roommate who I had met at the church and... uh, some of their friends, um, one of my dearest friends to this day, we met at that church, uh, and he had a similar experience, but, um, it still becomes hard to reconcile that they knew all of the dirty details of what happened to me. Cause I, cause I wasn't shy about saying like, mm-hmm. this is what's going on. And I think, again, that was part of the problem is that they, mm-hmm. they didn't want me to share these things, but it became hard over the years to watch them still attend that church, uh, be under the same pastors and leadership and effectively still follow that church and be a part of that church. And I was just like, how could you do this knowing what they did to me? And you acknowledge that what they did to me was horrible, but mm-hmm. you know, human beings have an amazing ability to comp- to compartmentalize. And if it doesn't happen to you, then you can be like, well, it's not going to happen to me. So I'm having a positive experience here. So did they, did they ever try to come back and say like, here's the Bible verses that we are referencing to, to treat you this way, or here's the you know wisdom we've gained from other pastors. They yeah. They did. Uh, Director R definitely threw out some Bible verses and my GC leaders did a little bit. I studied theology at university. So, um, I mean, ding, game ding, reco- ding. that's why yeah. I discarded <laughs> you quickly. <laughs> well, and that, game recognized game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and did you, I mean, they were misusing the Bible passages to justify the behavior, right? Would you agree? Yes. And, yeah. oh yes, absolutely. But I also knew like, And if this is one thing that I learned at university, it's uh, you shouldn't be using the Bible as a weapon. And like 
as soon as you start throwing Bible verses at people, like even if you actually know more, like back out of that, back I mean, out of it fast. Abuse. It, I mean, yeah. from what we we talked about in a previous episode, from you know thirty one eight, which is a actual organization that uh, about mental health. Um, that is that's part of the definition of spiritual abuse using the sacred texts against you. The story, I mean, literally, it sounds like a horror movie or a lifetime yeah. movie. I don't know if anybody is Lifetime still a cable channel because it sounds like a lifetime I movie don't know. too. So I have seen all of the lifetime movies. So yes, it sounds I would like say a, that. It sounds like a lifetime movie or a Dateline. It is. So. It is. Except. Uh, I was not officially murdered, but definitely my yeah. desire to to, to uh, yeah, t- my desire to go to church was. So <laughs> So where are you today? I do not attend a church regularly. Um I think it was really important through years of therapy to free myself from the expectation that that be something mm-hmm. that I do because that was such a very strong drive within me was no matter what, but it occurred to me that like every single church that I had attended, there had been strong elements of this partial. I mean, like at no church that I had gone to had I had a positive experience devoid of abuse. Abuse had been present at every church. Even when I did my very best just to show up as a giver. (laughs) And Mm. so it's been healthiest for me where I don't attend church anymore. As someone who grew up with church being the center of all community, it's been interesting and in some ways hard, but also validating to figure out how to form a community outside of that and beyond that. And I think in terms of faith, um, I think there's a lot of question marks, but I don't feel obligated to answer them. Maybe mm-hmm. I will at some point. Uh, maybe I won't, but I have freed myself from the expectation of needing to have clearly defined exactly what I believe, why, all of that, because that was such a huge part of my life. And getting comfortable with the ambiguity, because I was always taught that, you know, you have to be very clear on what you believe and why. Romans Road, all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't have to do that. And that's been incredibly freeing. And mm-hmm. I know it it mystifies some people, but it's been very helpful for me, especially because, like I said, I've never attended a church where this wasn't present. And I think, if anything, that is the thing that uh, when people hear this story or when I talk to friends about it, when it comes up, because uh, again, as always, this is this is not the story that I whip out at happy hour. Um, right. It's it's a downer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't tell it unless it's super relevant. But I tell them, like, listen, if you attend a church, it's pretty safe to say that something like this, maybe not to this degree or whatever, but like there is some sort of abuse going on somewhere. And especially if you attend an Acts 29 church, especially if you attend a complementarian church, like structures which put specific groups of people at a disadvantage or under some undue power structures, you're going to find this. And what I tell them is if you've had only positive experiences, 
that's great. I'm happy for you. In some ways, I'm jealous. But Mm -hmm. I tell my friends, like, please remember, if it happened to me, it means it's probably happening somewhere at your church. So if someone tells you, hey, this happened to me, please believe them. Please do not ask them for a thousand receipts. Please don't say, oh my gosh, it could have never been this pastor. I know this pastor. This pastor is amazing. Yeah, people contain multitudes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say that especially uh, since we're talking about Acts 29 churches, we can be pretty clear that this is happening at almost all Acts 29 churches in varying degrees, Mm -hmm. whether you know about it or not. Yeah. And something that sticks out to me at the end of your story is the pain of that friend continuing. And this comes up in probably every conversation I have with people that come to us with their stories. Um, the the pain of not being believed because um, something that we say often is just you can't be Switzerland in abuse. Like there isn't a way to be Switzerland when we're talking about abuse. And if someone's telling you there's an abuse happening, there's harm, active harm being done to their person, and you say, that's so wrong. I'm so sorry that's happening to you. But like, I'm okay with that person. That means that they are not either understanding or caring to understand or desiring to acknowledge the the weight of what that person that is doing the abusing is doing. Like, I can, I'm sorry, I can't be in right friendship with a person that I know is actively abusive towards somebody else, especially someone that I love. If I know someone's being abusive to my husband or to my best friend, like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go out to coffee with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to come sit and pretend like there's not something going on here. And if you're listening to this story and you've had a friend or um, someone in your church community who has tried to say that they were experiencing harm from church leadership at whatever degree and you sat quietly or said, I'm sorry that happened to you. Or a a common phrase is like, there must be just like a miscommunication happening here. There must, you guys just probably don't understand what each other's saying. You're missing each other. Um, If you've done that to someone, I don't think you can fully grasp how healing it is for um, a victim of spiritual abuse to have someone come to them and say, I'm so sorry that I did not believe you the way that I should have. I'm so sorry that in the privilege that I had by being someone who wasn't being abused or experiencing that, that I didn't leverage that in the moment to protect you and to come alongside you and care for you. That is so unbelievably healing. So I just want to encourage people that are hearing this story, if that's you, I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm saying this because you need that freedom yourself too. You need to be able to say, by being silent, I was complicit and I added to the harm. And I need to own that. I need to repent of that. I need to reconcile that. And if the person you go to that was the victim in the first place says, I don't have the space to have this conversation with you, that is their right. And unfortunately, that's just 
part of it. That's part of it. If you were a part of the harm, then they get they get to say that. <laughs> and we just have to live with that. But I don't know. It's not just pastors and leadership that are just on an island m- creating this abusive context. It's the people that are complicit and quiet and allow for it to happen when they see it. They are a part of the problem, <laughs> a large part of the problem. I would say, Lindsay, too, like um, what I would really have loved to have seen in your story, and, and I hope by sharing your story that that pastors who hear this would would so that same courage that Jonna talked about, if they're in these types of churches where there's these accusations out there, uh, the pastors uh, would bring forth uh, to leadership and say, we have to acknowledge these accusations, and we need to do what we can to make uh, the individuals whole. And we need to understand what's going on within our church and our culture because this is unacceptable. Um, because, like it does say in Ephesians, expose, uh, you know, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, uh, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. That's the NIV version, it's not the ESV. Um, so, and I think that that's very important to do. And I would encourage pastors um, who, who have heard these stories like Lindsay's, who've had people leave like Lindsay. Uh, and they know that there's these rumors or um, echoes, or not echoes, but there's these quiet little secrets out there, but no one's really ever touched on them. Go look, start asking the questions, listen, and then confront the leadership. This is not acceptable. It's not acceptable to discard people like this So and abuse them. In the case of Lindsay and Elizabeth's church, uh, y'all know, because y'all sat at the table. <laughs> yeah. And talked about these people. So maybe just like close the doors and let's like re let's figure this out. There's so many conversations that need to happen that this is just this has reached a point where it is evil and wicked what is happening within that leadership room. Yeah. And also recognize that reconciliation is not yours to force. Exactly. Yeah. It is. If uh, a great point. I would love to hear a wholesale apology, but I am not interested in giving them any more time to sit down and explain what they think happened or what their version of events is or what their perspective is and what they think I need to do. Cause you know, there is always two components because they'd say, well, I'm sorry. And then for them to feel absolved, I have to say, well, I forgive you. And the thing is, is that like, I do forgive them. I had to decide that for myself years ago, but um, the fact that this perpetuates and all these things is not okay. So I think that has always been a running thread, particularly with this church, is that I said, you did you did something wrong. It's not okay. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. And we need you to acknowledge that it's fine. And now if, for some reason they ever would say like we're sorry for what we did i'd be like okay now go and do better but i don't want to talk to you like i have moved on you do not get to take up any more space in my life yeah and i think that is a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow because especially once you realize you've done something wrong you want to feel better about it Mm -hmm. and um i am not here to make them feel better if Mm -mm. 
I mean, there's an Anne Lamott quote where she says, if people didn't want to be written about poorly, they should have behaved better. Mm-hmm. So there you go. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. In Matthew 22, Jesus was approached by a group of Pharisees. The Pharisees were the largest and most influential religious and political party in Jerusalem. They dedicated their time to studying the law. Despite their education, the Pharisees were self-righteous. Jesus was a problem to their rules and influence. So when they would engage with him, as it says in Matthew, they often laid plans to trap him in his words. In this particular conversation, a Pharisee that scripture says was an expert in the law tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The Pharisees were cornered. How could they disagree with this? But inside, I'm sure they were seething. This man was challenging a system that placed them in the spiritual authority over others. To me, this chapter in Matthew shows how religion will always be a place where the corruption and lust for power can reside. But we, as followers of Jesus, we are called to the radical love of others. Lindsay was not loved by her church. She was questioned, shamed, harassed, forced to relive trauma, and threatened with discipline. We, the church, failed Lindsay because we love power, processes, and systems more than people. We have become blind to Jesus' message of loving our neighbors, and in doing so, we have lost sight of the King and His true kingdom. I'm Jonna Harris, and this has been the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast.